This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go guys today we are sitting down with one of my really good buddies iron will bill from iron will outfitters bill is a stud man he is a diehard bow hunter he's helped me out at a lot of elk shape camps i generally have him teach just i have him do an arrow audit with all the campers and their arrows talk about their front of center their component selection their broadhead selection and he just kind of does the science thing because he's a mechanical engineer and when you have a guy that into bow hunting who decided to make his own broadhead and now he's offering arrows so i wanted to get him on today pick his brain ask him some hard questions because some of his stuff's expensive and i want to know his take on the value versus the dollar uh, i love learning from bill honestly he's a student of the game He's a great teacher, and more importantly, he's a great man. So without further ado, this is Iron Will Bill, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Elk Shape uh, Podcast, sitting down with the guy I call Iron Will Bill. How, how's it going, Mr. Uh, Iron Will Bill? 
Good, Dan. How you doing? It's Friday, man. It's been a crazy week, but uh, not as crazy as probably your week. How, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. Looking forward to a little easier day today and, and then a weekend for sure. Okay, man. So backstory on Bill. He is the Iron Will Outfitters co-founder, but uh, basically that you run the ship. This is your business. This is your baby. It's a beautiful definition of side hustle leading to your full-time hustle, which uh, yours truly, same deal for me doing Elk Shape, like just a side hustle that I'm passionate about. So let's break down how it got started a little bit. I know we've done that in the past, but uh, let's do Cliff Notes version, Bill. And also, you're a mechanical engineer. You're not a whatever. You are, this is like your bread and butter. Physics, mathematics, all the classes I sucked at in college, you're good at. So give us your resume. Yeah. So I've, you know, been bow hunting for lots of years um, and been a mechanical engineer, developing products for other companies for many years. And, you know, I just started design, developing broadheads for myself um, after a broadhead fail and just really wanted the best equipment for myself. I never really um, had plans to start a company, you know, when they were performing really well for me, I decided to bring it out as, uh, you know, start selling them. But actually, I never thought it was going to be my, I kind of hope maybe this could be a full time job someday. But I really just thought these are going to be expensive, but it's what I want. I want to get it in manufacturing with the best processes to make the best products. And, you know, man, it it took off. Um, So yeah, it's going to be a real, real job at this point. But really, the the whole reason I did it, and the whole reason I'm still doing it is, um, I love bow hunting. I love, um, you know, I, I love elk, bow hunting elk especially, but, you know, out west bow hunting, um, but just bow hunting in general. And I want to do it at the highest level, get better at it every year and develop products that are going to make me better at it. Uh, yeah. And you've done that. So uh, let's break down a little bit of behind the scenes for folks. I know a lot of your team members, um, great people, but let's talk about like, um, all the help you have behind the scenes, like Marty, Eric Whiting, um, I think your kids, like just so people can get to understand this is not a turnkey deal. This is like at some point you were packaging and shipping every package out at fulfilling every order. And, you know, like uh, where are you guys at today? Who's all working um, behind the scenes there? Yeah. Uh, when I started, it was just um, Eric Whiting and I were kind of co-founders. I developed the broadhead, but really didn't know if I wanted to do all the um, sales marketing website type work to launch it. And I met Eric up in the mountains. Um, both We were kind of both solo backpack elk hunting and became friends. And um, we, we launched it together. Um, after about a year and a half, two years of, you know, no salary, he left and got, um, got a, a real job. Um, and now he's back, you know, working for me, doing a lot of our website work and some of our, our marketing emails, things like that. Um, but for a few years, when he left, I had my my son helping out, like doing social media. Um, and but I, you know, for a while there, I did every job. I answered every phone call, email. I designed, developed all the products. I developed the manufacturing processes. And, you know, we had a manufacturing team there, too, of, you know, machinists and assembly operators and people. So there's like the manufacturing team is building putting this stuff together but outside of that um i did a lot of the jobs there for a few years and then just about a year about a year ago i heard um bailey cloud she does our 
customer service tech support. She's uh, she's awesome. She, you know, spent several years in, in in bow shops, really setting up bows, giving archery lessons. She was a competitive archer. I heard she was on the podium every time for like the three years she did that. And she's an avid hunter. Um, so if you call and ask for an help arrow setup or what broadhead should I use, you typically talk to Bailey. She's been a great help um, taking the, some of the load off me on on tech support. Um, and then uh, Marty, we hired maybe a year ago, and he was a, you know, he lives in the mountains of Colorado, and he was an avid, you know, bow hunter um, and a customer, really. And, you know, when we advertised to get a photographer, somebody do photos, videos, and social media, man, we had like 90 people apply for that job last year. And um, and we weeded it down to uh, to Marty. He does a great job for us. So all that, if you, if you notice our like social media photos and videos, got like 10 times better a year ago. That's because I, I was no longer involved. <laughs> I was involved. With it. <laughs> I did very little and Marty. Uh, Marty does a lot of that. You know, prior to that, my son was doing it, Dallas, uh, and doing a good job, but it was, you know, I was working with him to like, what are we going to post? And it was mostly just sharing other photos. And Marty is, uh, Marty does a great job. He's a high energy dude. If you've been seeing us at any of the shows, he's there working the booth and, uh, talking to people but um yeah and my my wife quit teaching two years ago maybe and so she helped out with accounting customer service things like that uh her name's sarah so that's kind of the core team um and the manufacturing group kind of kind of add people as needed to assemble and machine more more parts there all right well i'm gonna help folks jump to the chase here we're gonna talk about the arrows that you guys are coming out with or have just dropped on tuesday but first let's talk about the business end of an arrow i hear you say some things and i know there's others like me that are knuckle draggers don't know about when you say our steel this tooling 48 something rock hard blah 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 I'm like, just nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Now there's guys who know stuff about metals and are like, oh, okay. I'm not that dude, man. I just need a broadhead to be really sharp, made the same, and fly well. So I guess you're going to have to break down whatever you can on your process for your broadheads. Let's just get that box checked right out the gates. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of my first jobs out of college was a, as a tooling engineer developing better uh, you know, researching different steels and developing better, longer lasting tools for, you know, whether it was um, metal stamping, injection molding, cutters, things like that. So I really dug deep into the steels. And I had a lot of that in college, too. I'd say I kind of emphasized in metals, material science, along with um, design, machine design. So, um, you know, I knew, like, for instance, when I had that broadhead fail, and I really took a close look at it and looked at what the materials were. I just I realized pretty quickly that, um, you know, a much better broadhead can be engineered here and the materials manufacturing process are just a lot of it right there. Um, the geometry has something to do with it, of course, too. But, you know, there's a there's a wide range of um, mechanical properties with steels. And, you know, to kind of break it down, kind of simplify it, a broadhead has a pretty difficult job compared to most parts out there, you know, most you know machines or whatever it has to fly at high speed impact potentially you know bone um it has to cut stay sharp and cut really well and ideally stay sharp and cut all the way through even when it hits a bone and really the materials being used typically don't don't perform very well to that 
So, you know, I, what I, I went through a bunch of different steels, but the one I ended on was this A2 tool steel used to cut metals and metal stamping dies because it can retain an edge and cut over and over, <clears throat> cut metal, you know, over and over, um, but yet has the impact strength that it's not going to crack and break. Um, and, you know, hardness kind of is a measure of the compressive strength at the surface. You can kind of think about it as, you know, you know, how hard, how strong is that at a, at a kind of microscopic level when you, the way they measure it is they make a little dent in it um, with something very hard and measure what force it takes to dent it to a certain distance. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of blades out there are 48 to 50 Rockwell C. Um, and that works kind of okay. But um, the, the edges, especially when you're down to 46, 48, like a lot of mechanical blades are, it's, um, and a lot of three piece, a lot of like one piece solid blades are that low too, um, or broad hits. Man, they're not very sharp to start with, and they're pretty dull by the time you get to the hide. Whereas if you go to something like our our blades are 60 Rockwell C, and that's getting up into like the best of the knife out there, the best of the custom, you know, custom knives you might pay thousands of dollars for. We're doing a similar process there of of heat treating, um, cryogenic treating, tempering to try and get the max performance. Um, try to get it very hard, retain that edge, but yet um, have that impact strength, toughness. So uh, if you, I, I guess the way to simplify it is, is that it is very important in a broadhead for it to be sharp, to start with, stay sharp as it goes through hide, ribs, whatever, because that keeps the force low to penetrate. Keeping that force low will make it go a lot further through the animal. And keeping that edge there will make sure you're slicing everything all the way through and not just pushing tissues, arteries aside, but actually slicing them for a quick kill. So, you know, through the metals, that's really what I was trying to achieve. And I feel like I have achieved with those broadheads. And that's why, you know, that's why they're more expensive. Um, but that's kind of, uh, hopefully that, that, that's understandable, Dan, but that's kind of a summary of why, you know, what's different there in the steels. Yeah. And it's great to hear you, uh, you know, kind of break that down for our knuckle dragger. I think I'm going to continue to ask you hard questions the rest of this podcast. So are you ready? I'm ready. Lay it on me. Right. Explain to listeners and potentially critics the warranty that you guys are offering when you invest in, you know, broadheads that cost three for a hundo. Where's the line? People will take advantage of that. It's human nature. Um, but also you'll have some people that, you know, legitimately qualify for a warranty. So I guess I'm just asking you, like, this is your turn to tell us your guys's policy on a warranty when you buy broadheads. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a, a lifetime warranty from the beginning. And really the reason for that is I knew people were, were going to be like three broadheads for a hundred bucks. That, that's that's crazy. And, and they would want to risk spending that much money for it. But at the same time, I felt like, man, if people get these and use them and see how much better they are, they're going to be like customers for life. And we've got a lot of people that, you know, that are, that just, they had some experience that with our broadhead, they had a, a you know, a, a quick kill and recovery, whereas they knew they wouldn't with maybe another broadhead. But, and in my experience was it could go through bone, even like femur bones and the broadhead wasn't getting damaged and the ferrules weren't getting bent. You know, this is after many years of materials and design changes, things like that. So that was the reason for adding a lifetime warranty is I felt you can shoot through an animal 
and just reuse this thing. And they're not, you know, they're not single use. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, originally it was any bend or breaking, bend or break anything, we replace it. Uh, we did have some abuse of the warranty to where, you know, one guy shot six of them into a, threw his target into a log and then took pliers and bent, the, bent the ferrules, the threads on all of them, pulling them out of the log. And then, you know, got six replaced that way. Um, our guys would shoot them into, into rocks or just shoot groups over and over and over until they damaged every broadhead and then get the full six pack replaced. So the only change we did to our warranty was um, we expect uh, in a target situation that you just, um, you know, take care to not shoot groups, just ha and have a target, a decent foam target that's going to stop the broadhead. But we will any any shots at or through an animal, if anything bends or breaks, we'll replace it um, in any kind of hunting situation. So that's that's our um, our current warranty. It's been that way a year and a half or so now. All right, moving on to you guys launched arrows. We're going to get into that, and so I'm going to prep your answer with some questions that or actually more like comments. And these comments come from a couple different websites that I did research on last night and they're called forums. And it's like basic chat rooms uh, that I would go on to back in the early 2000s when there was no social media. Uh, I guess they're still a thing. Don't ever Google my name. I'll get, you'll see some funny stuff about, um, there, it's a critical, it's kind of a critical community a little bit, but there's some positivity too. But like, uh, I'm going to start reading you a handful of comments, probably like three or four, and then I'll have you respond and with your spiel. So the price is nuts. I'd like them to explain how the iron wheel is different than a regular AAE version besides the label. I guess it's just a longer max hunter. Number two, I'm curious about their quote unquote machine to square both ends. I'm sure it does a good job precisely every time. I'm surprised they're not trying to offer some kind of knock tuning pre-fletch. However, aside from shooting, I haven't found any way to do it. Also, only a three-degree right helical three-fletch. So they're they're not stoked that you don't offer four or left helical or whatever. And then I got two more for you. Okay, I like this one. Considering the pile of glues, scrapers, veins, inserts, points, and knocks I've acquired, the various shafts I've tried, and the Dremel arrow saw that I built, and the Bitsenberg, and the squaring tool, and the hours spent researching and building, $400 for a dozen doesn't seem too bad, especially since I already settled in on Easton Axis and Iron Will Blades. And then the rest are very much more like narratives about how could someone charge $12, $50, or $33 an arrow and fill points and ever. So I guess uh, let's get into your guys' offering and what makes it different and the, the, the rationale behind the price points. Yeah, so... Um I'll just touch on price real quick while it's it, since you just kind of hit on it there. It's our our full length flat shafts are going to be 189.95. So that's pretty comparable out there, I would say. It's when we add the uh machining to both ends and components and things that that the prices go up. And then we're at about 399.95 for a kind of fully machined um and I'll go into the details of what that means, but fully machined all our components and everything there. And yeah, that's pretty expensive, but the way to have a lower cost, obviously, is you can finish them yourself um, as well. And so, and we can come back to price, but I thought I'd just hit that first. 
and then now, let me tell you a, bit, a little bit about you know what these are and why um so you know i I've, I've been uh i felt pretty strongly that everybody ought to be able to shoot fixed blade broadheads accurately at long distance um if they have a relatively well-tuned bow and the right arrow setup and you know majority of our customers say our broadheads you know shoot great best fixed blade they've shot but you know quite quite often we'll have somebody that will struggle to get fixed blade heads to shoot for them and then we we work with them and figure out what's wrong and it's typically either um bows out of tune doesn't really understand bow tuning too well um or just his arrow setup isn't appropriate maybe it's underspined or not enough vein on the back so <clears throat> about a year and a half ago i did a study myself just looking at Oh, seven or eight different veins, um, shooting field points versus broadheads at distance, and then taking the bow out of tune and looking to see which one stabilized the best and had them hit closest to field points with the bow out of tune a little bit. And, you know, got some of my favorites from that, but I also realized that um, doing a more in-depth scientific study would really greatly benefit bow hunters, I thought. And so I, I, um, wrote up a proposal to the University of Colorado to sponsor a project to study this and, you know, got it accepted. And we started this last September. So it's been almost a full school year now. Um, we've had a team there of uh, seniors in mechanical engineering studying, um, you know, improved aerovane design for bow hunting. And it's both through an analytical model as well as empirical, you know, testing. And uh, the analytical model is a, uh, it's very, um, you know, very comprehensive um, model of computation of fluid dynamics, where we have the whole arrow modeled with uh, arrow broadheads on the front. You know, we got the shaft, we got the veins on the back. Um, they're, they're these are all three D solid models, but they're on there at the three degree helical with the knock behind it, and we've modeled seven different veins on there um in the industry you know what we've included there was uh blazers max max hunters max still tack uh, sk2 super savers um and then some new veins as well and um in this model we can get you know i guess the, the factors we're looking at here are accuracy stability drag spin up wind drift and sound and we can model all these things um, in this fluid dynamic model. And one of the things we're doing here that's I haven't I've never seen anything done. I think this is the best modeling that's really ever been done on certainly a bow hunting arrow is that we have this arrow, you know, basically flying through fluid and rotating. So that's often missing in modeling. The CFD modeling is that arrows not rotating, and that does you know make a difference. Um, and from the model, you can get. You can see how the airflow is around it. You can see the, where the pressures pressures are on the broadhead and the vein, and you know the overall arrow. And we can then say tip that arrow five degrees off target, and then look at the how the veins restore it and bring it back on. Uh, we can look at that restoring torque. Um, we can get drag. So when it's back on track and just flying straight, you know what's the force slowing it down, and what's that trajectory going to be over distance. Um, we can see how quickly it spins up at the initial coming off the bow and that airflow straight into the veins. We can see what the torque is there to spin it up. Uh, we can look at wind drift. We can apply a crosswind in this model, look at wind drift. We can also get sound. You know, there's a 
this kind of modeling of the pressure and the and the uh, pressure waves or acoustics coming off of there. And so we can see what features on a vein are making it quiet or loud and then use that info to try and, you know, design better veins going forward as well. But so it, any questions on kind of the analytical side of it before I go into like the empirical testing that we included too? No, I think we can just sum, sum, summarize. Um, and there's an important detail I think you, we need to add here is, so this fluid modeling is, I've seen your presentation in real in real life. So it's pretty incredible. No one's done that. This is unprecedented. You're You're taking it to another level. And I think people need to understand that not only requires a baseline of fundamental engineering knowledge and education, but more so it's pretty cool to have someone with those credentials who's just a passionate bow hunter straight up. And then lastly, lastly, you failed to mention these cameras, which I've been trying to get my hands on slow-mo photography cameras. They're really like these cameras are anywhere from 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to do anywhere between five to 10,000 frames a second. You've also had access to watching these these studies with this you know photography and i'm super jealous i need i want to see the footage because there's a lot going on there when you're launching a projectile from you know a bow yeah so um you know the the fluid dynamic model it's all you know computer analysis but and i've i've done fluid dynamic modeling myself in developing the broadhead but it was all more straight line flow um but what i've learned over the years in computer modeling is it's you really need to have some actual tests to verify that the results you're getting are accurate. And so that's the whole, you know, empirical testing side of this. So what we're doing there is um, we have a, they have my Hooter shooter and, and bows down there and we're, you know, shooting, shooting the arrows off and we have um, lab radar measuring the velocity at the shot and downrange to kind of verify the drag in the model um, and looking to see how much, you know, velocity drop and we're getting reduction in velocity and actual um, vertical drop we're seeing with each vein. We have um, high-speed camera, um, phantom high-speed camera. So, um, and we're using this on every test session where we're looking at the arrows coming off the bow, how quickly they spin up, you know, how long does it take to get that first revolution, that second, and then what, what kind of peak revolutions per second are we getting with these different veins? Um, and, and that's important because it averages out any asymmetries. If there's, if your arrow's not straight or your point's not pointing straight um, and it's not spinning very much, you're going to start driving off one side or, or another there. So, you know, that's kind of why that's important. We're also looking at, with that high-speed camera, we can see recovery. So if this arrow's coming off a little tail right, we can see how quickly these veins pull back on target. And that just improves accuracy. The quicker it can be brought right back on and, and fly straight at the at the bullseye, you know, the, the better it's gonna do, uh, the more accurate it's gonna shoot arrow to arrow. Um, let's see, what else do we have there? We have a um, pretty sophisticated sound recording system. So we have microphones recording the sound and they are, we're doing it, you know, downrange. Um, so we get to see the, the bow noise in there. And the bow noise actually, it's it's interesting. We'll get into more of this. Um, we'll present more of this data. You know, it's the end of the semester when I have all this kind of summarized. But you see that bow noise continue when the arrow is maybe even five yards down range. There's a lot of bow noise, and then there, and then it gets quite, it gets pretty quiet, and then it ramps, and then the sound ramps up again as the arrow approaches the uh, 
you know, the animal, or in this case, the microphones. But, and what I wanted to do here is analyze this in more detail. I think a lot of guys just have like a decibel meter and they might pick up the peak sounds. But I mean, what's important to me is what's the sound coming? What's the sound like from, we'll say, 10 yards away from the shooter to, you know, let's say the um, animal is just going to be at, at 30 yards. What's the sound from the 10 yards to 25 yards? Because that peak sound, when it hits the animal, it's kind of too late there for it to react. But in anyway, in this study, um, I'm, the, the part I'm most, most um, I, we can analyze it every way and we have been, but I'm, I'm having them kind of focus on five yards from hitting the animal and then back, you know, maybe five to 10 yards from there. I think 10 yards is what we're currently doing. So not at the animal, but as it's approaching, like when they could still make a move. Um, and then we're analyzing, you know, so record the data. We go into this MATLAB program where we do these Fourier transforms and get the frequency content. And then we can look at it for um, human hearing, which is I think two to five kilohertz is kind of the, the range where humans are most sensitive and pick it up. But then uh, also like for a deer, four to eight kilohertz is where they're most sensitive. So it's interesting to see like, okay, this vein sounds a little bit louder to people, um, but it actually, um, we see a little shift when we look at the higher frequency. And so I think that's probably what's more important in that deer's peak range of which one sounds louder when it's approaching the deer. So anyway, I think we're gonna have some great, great data there um, as well. Hey guys, this podcast is brought to you by Hard Work. That's right. I can't do it for you. Only you can do it for you. And that's what we are selling. I hope you're buying. We're also brought to you by Matthews Archery, Vortex Optics, Onyx Hunt, Numa Outdoors, Kufaru International, MagView, Wilderness Athlete, Buck Knights, USA, Crispy Hunting, Stealth Cam, Marsupial, Baku E-Bikes, Black Ovis. And we have some discount codes to help you save some loot. Eurooptic.com. For anything for Vortex, use the discount code ELK10 to save 10% off. If you're looking for swag, go to Vortex Wear, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, and save 20%. Elite membership with OnX, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. NUMA Outdoors, 20% off. The code is ELKSHAPE20. For Kufaru, it's ELKSHAPE15. Exclusions are shelters. MagView, discount code ELKSHAPE10% off. Wilderness Athlete, 20% off. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE23. For Stealth Cam non-sell, discount code ELKSHAPE20 will get you 20% off. And for Cellular, use the discount code ELKSHAPE10 to take 10% off. If you're in the market for a back to e-bike, discount code ELKSHAPE will take $300 off. And where I shop for all my gear is blackobus.com. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Sheep Feet, the discount code is ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Fatty Meat Sticks, discount code ELKHUNTER. For 10% off. Alien Holsters, discount code ELKSHAPE10 for 10% off. Crossover Symmetry, discount code ELKSHAPE for 20% off. And Canvas Cutter, finally, discount code ELKSHAPE will take 10% off. Back to the show. Let's give our listeners takeaways from today. Well, maybe they do or maybe they don't buy arrows from you, but what they can do is subscribe to your knowledge of how to build the best hunting arrow that goes in your quiver. And I do want to say this, Bill. A lot of people probably can't shoot good enough to see the difference of in an arrow that you're making. Um, however, it will show up when you put a broadhead, not a fill point, but a broadhead on the end of your arrow. So to me, when I went to your website yesterday, I saw the option to get six arrows. 
I I think that could be something like a best practice is ordering up six arrows fully decked out, bougie, completely dialed by Iron Will, knowing that these are set aside and you're going to work through those six arrows to pick your number one, number two, number three arrow that goes in your quiver. I like that because I've been bow hunting long enough to know that every little detail really does matter. And if you change one thing, you change everything. Uh, with that being said, let's move on to the the ultimate arrow build, starting with all the veins you researched. Why did you settle in on the vein that you guys only can sell? It's exclusive to you guys. Um, what was it about that vein? Give us the highlights that sold you on this vein. Yeah, so the vein we chose is the one that really did the best from our testing. It's the, you know, we're calling it the Iron Well Hybrid Hunter vein. And really the the Max Hunter from AAE has been a favorite of mine um, in testing for a few years now. It's been kind of my preferred hunting if I go back a couple of years. Um, and, and you know, I worked with Nick at AAE to, to make those in the hybrid material to get them in this testing as well. And um, you can see from our all the computational fluid dynamic modeling that it it stood out the best when we kind of we weighted everything with accuracy and stability being at the top and then um drag spin up wind drift sound included there as well you know it did the best overall um and then in our in our actual empirical testing we saw that the hybrid material um had an improvement over the the max material in the in that hunter profile because it had a little bit it had to, i should say it had the same spin up it had the same sta stability and accuracy which is just outstanding um but it had less the less drag the less sound the less wind drift so we're seeing some benefits out of it and i've actually hunted with that arrow all year too um from hog hunting last january to bear hunting in the spring to deer and elk and everything um with those veins and yeah, and you know, I shoot them really well at 100 yards. Just it's been a great setup for me. And you know, independently, really, the university students tested all these, and they and that one, you know, came out on top. So that's where, you know, what I want to what I wanted to really offer was um, an arrow with a vein configuration that's going to do well for work really well for and and really improve the shooting with broadheads for. 90% of the people out there. Um, I think there's guys that are really at the high end, pro shooters, whatever, that are, their form is great. Their bow is super well-tuned. They don't need as forgiving of a setup. And they'll say, hey, I do great with three shorter veins or whatever. Um, and I don't deny that 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 could very possibly be true or probably is true. But um, I think these this vein configuration with a little higher profile, um, it's a three degree helical to get some rotation. You know, this, this is scientifically proven to work really well and really work the best in our study with, with Ironwell broadheads. So um, I want to just offer an arrow first that had a vein configuration that was going to work really well for you. Um, and and I, I do think that'll make a difference with a lot of people. I think if you take your current arrow setup vein configuration, especially if it's a little shorter target veins or really anything under a half inch high, you compare that to to this um, arrow that we're selling, I think you're going to see tighter grooves, more forgiving, you know, less flyers, things like that with, with this arrow setup. I think that'll help a lot of people. Now, the next level is we're also offering where we precision cut and square each arrow for you, you know, and that that's going to add cost. But 
what I've always wanted there was, I mean, ideally I knew like if you chucked up each arrow in a machining center and had a machinist basically cut and square it perfectly, you know, cut it accurately, square it with a facing tool to like less than a thousands of an inch type, um, you, you know, run out. If you could kind of measure, is that surface all flat or not? Um, I thought we thought that would be ideal. I'd love to offer that. And that's really what we're doing right now. It's a custom machining center, really, where it's and, and a machinist is individually chucking these arrows up, um, cutting it off, squaring it, squaring both ends so that it's it's as good as it could really possibly be. And I think that's why you're saying a lot of people you don't think will shoot the difference. You know, probably true, especially in closer, you know, you're shooting 20, 30 yards. I don't think it matters. Um, but you know, a lot of elk hunters, um, and I just reviewed data with, uh, Cody Greenwood this morning. He's got this, uh, data kills. Um, if you go to datakills.com, you can enter in your data for your, you know, the animal you got last year. And he just reviewed data from, I think 500 entries last year. And interesting thing we saw on elk is that a lot of the successful shots on elk were like 40 to 80 yards. So, um, versus whitetail where it was down it's pretty coarse around 20 to 30 yards for whitetails, um, you know, really uh, 20 to 25 yards, 20 to 26 yards there for whitetails, but elk hunters are trying to shoot out further. And I think there's a lot of good reasons to use a fixed blade head, especially for elk. And so if you want to shoot a fixed head 60 to 80 yards very accurately, that's when all these little fine details matter, right? And I think the knock-in is, is what people don't realize, especially the guys that like cut They'll cut from each end of their arrow to maybe make the straightness better, but they don't do a good job squaring the knock end. You know, there's a lot of force through that string, through the knock, into the into the shaft. And if one side of that shaft is sticking up maybe five thousandths from the other side, which by eyeball looks good, but really if, if I model that, all that force just went through one side. And that's going to change how that arrow flexes and comes off the bow versus the next arrow. And so inconsistencies like that can can hurt your accuracy at long range. And I'm going to do some work to try and kind of quantify what that is. Cause I got, I got that question a lot. Like, um, okay, you're machining squaring arrows perfectly. How much does that matter? How much will that affect accuracy versus what I get at my bow shop? Um, kind of a hard question to answer because you know, some bow shops do better than others. Some have, you know, 14 year old kid just swinging arrows and, you know, flexing arrows, swinging them in there and cutting them fast as he can at, at an arc. Versus some other shops, maybe they're very carefully rotating to try and get that cut more even. And then they do some amount of squaring on a tool, you know, later. Often it's not enough to really clean up that surface. But um, anyway, it's going to vary a lot by by bow shop. And I know there's going to be guys that say, well, you, are you saying I can't make a good arrow myself? No, I'm not saying that. You can definitely cut and square an arrow yourself. The guys want to put the time into it and build it themselves you do it, you know, uh, you know, for sure. I'm not saying you can't do it for sure. You can, um, do a great job. Um, you probably won't get to the level of this, but I think you can still get to a great level. This is more for guys that want it to be the best and maybe don't want to put in all the time to do it themselves too. Okay. You know, I've squared arrows. I've cut arrows, dude. There's a lot to be desired there to have perfectly squared off arrows. And for me, it's been, a process of silver sharpening. I've even got to a point where I've square both in silver sharpie and get the G5 squaring tool. And yeah, it does okay, but it's not a machine. 
Same with fletching. There's human error involved, especially when you're doing even like some jigs where you can get all three veins and put them all in like an Arizona Easy Mini. There's still, like if you look, there's still some spacing variance between vein to vein uh, on the shaft and um, getting the right orientation. And, you know, all this stuff does kind of matter. So I do like the idea of taking human beings out of the equation as much as possible. But I do want to tell me, kind of organize the veins that you tested and give us like the starting lineup, maybe one through three, like Obviously, the number one was the hybrid Max Hunter. What was the number two performer? What was the number three, four, five, so on and so forth? I don't think I want to, um, you know, give, I don't think I want to publicly say what was low performers and why. And it, it's, um, I, I guess I'm still trying to figure out how exactly to, to show that. And I, we might just show this as a report with more, um, you know, anonymous what the other vein results were. And and you can understand just having another company. I don't want to, I don't want to speak badly of other people's products or really, um, you know, say things that are going to hurt their sales. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of hard to do. I can just talk maybe in generalities of what, you know, what works better than what works good, what works maybe not as good in veins. I think people, I think people want to know what works best. Maybe speak to. The degree of separation between veins to veins. Don't mention brands, but like straight up, man, was the was your vein like leaps and bounds, or are we splitting hairs? Like because I've shot Max Hunters, they're loud, they're loud, but they absolutely steer a fixed broadhead better than anything I've come across. And to a point, Bill, last year. I was trying to trying to use your single bevel to the left, like just because we're friends. And I just I've seen your lectures and I'm like, I really want to shoot an elk with one so bad. And I was struggling, man, to get my arrow set up doped with your broadhead at past 60 yards, 70 yards. And I had it was a shoot off between the Grim Reaper Micro Hades three blade and your single bevel. And then I got the idea. I was like, well, Bill's always talking about Max Hunters, and I got a box of them. I fletched them up, and wouldn't you know, I was so impressed that that's what I used last year was Max Hunters and your single bevel, and on a rip TKO with some good FOC and uh, three veins and a helical, and oh my gosh, dude, like I could literally group broadheads out to 100, no problem, with the Max Hunters. So I'm not really surprised based on the vein profile that you've chosen here. So maybe I'll ask you this. What is the difference between a Max Hunter and the Iron Will hybrid Max Hunter in material? Is it quieter? Is it built different? Obviously it is, but like maybe explain that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me let me touch a little bit on the, the vein thing because you went from which vein to which vein was it? A stealth to a hunter? Yeah, I had stealth. I had stealths because they're pretty quiet. Um, they're longer, low, lower profile, as you know, but um, they weren't steering as good, quite straight up. Yeah, so I think that's a very popular hunting vein out there. And there's um, the Max Stealth, the Hybrid 2.3, and then there's a, a number of other companies that have made kind of a similar vein where it's um, it's longer, but not as high a profile. And I think there's some, I mean, it's, and, and it's a pretty good vein, I would say. Um, it's a higher profile does better for stabilizing. And that's what you're saying. You're going to get more accuracy um, 
whenever there's a disturbance, whenever, you know, for whatever reason, you torque your bow a little bit, it's out of tune a little bit, maybe you just have a little bit of, of side wind, a kick in the arrow, um, whatever, whatever disturbance that takes it out of perfectly pointing at the target, that little high profile vein is going to correct it better. Um, and, you know, the Max Hunter and Hybrid Hunter are did, did the best in our testing for that. Um, and what I would say though, too, the, I've talked to a lot of people out there and, and some, you know, when I was at Western Hunt Expo, I talked to a number of guys that write articles for magazines and they're kind of the gear guys for archery, arrows, things like that. And what I hear a lot and what they were saying a lot is um, like a little bit lower profile vein, even though it's longer, is going to have say uh, less wind drift. Um, well, they'll, they'll say a couple of things. One, they'll say it'll stabilize just as good because it's longer. Well, I don't see that in the modeling or in, in my, um, you know, my own testing outside is that it's the height that really helps you. And, and the reason is that um, there's boundary layer effects. So that airflow near the shaft is, is a low velocity and it doesn't create much pressure or force to stabilize. Um, you, you go up over a quarter inch from the shaft and you start getting to where you're near that full speed, like 280 feet per second or whatever you're shooting at. So it's really that top of the vein that does all the work in terms of um, getting things stabilized and and um, really making them shoot accurately. So, but and I'll also hear them say that um, a little lower profile, longer, will have better wind drift. Sorry, there's some uh, construction going on and, and pounding here. Um, what I'll see though is that you know, the wind drift is more like, what is your, if you look at it from the side and maybe just took a picture of the arrow and then looked at that surface area, that that's going to cause your wind drift. So this longer vein, lower profile, it still has more total surface area. And what we see in this testing and modeling is actually more wind drift than what you'd get with a higher profile. So those are the, those are a lot of, some of the reasons why people are maybe picking those. I would say they're a bit quieter when they're lower, a little lower profile. But if I balance everything out, I think the higher profile is, is a better overall for a fixed blade head. Um, and then to your second question of what's the difference in the materials? Um, this hybrid, I mean, well, hybrid hunter vein uses AAE's hybrid material. So it doesn't need a primer or anything. It bonds really well, a very strong bond with just um, you know, Loctite 408, or there's a lot of different cyanoacrylate type um, quick bond. Um, adhesives out there it bonds really well with all those so that's that's one benefit it's um it's a bit more flexible and i wasn't sure if it would perform um you know as well with it being more flexible but i wanted to get it in the in the testing and what we saw is that it actually spins up just as quick stabilizes just as well but um it was a little bit quieter which is a bit of a surprise um but at that three degree helical mounting it was a bit quieter um and a little less wind drift and a little less drag so it, it maintained that velocity better at distance as well so when we saw those benefits along with a great accuracy and stability it's really when i decided i want to come up with this um, on our arrows and i worked with easton to uh, machine fletch these at at a very consistent three degree helical which is different you know most factory fletch um, arrows you're going to get are like zero to one degree out there but we're accurately machine fletching a repeatable three degree, which is what we saw best um, or worked really well in our testing. Okay. 
You're doing a good job here. I'm, I'm kind, I told you I was going to hit you hard questions. I feel like you've, you've done a good job and you've stayed diplomatic and I respect that. I do. I want to dig in on why Easton Axis. I have used Easton Axis. I kind of had like a, a little bit of a journey of trying to go lighter. I think I'm still on that journey. I'm going to save that for the end of this conversation. But I did use FMJs forever. I still think I've killed more elk with FMJs because I used them from 2001 to probably 2017 or 18. And I put down a lot of bulls with those. Obviously, they would always come in. My total weights, only using a 100-grain broadhead, I'd still be low fives. So like 515 or 505. Uh, and I'd use your classic arrow wrap with blazers on the back, straight, no offset. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And I've evolved, um, and my next step was to drop down to the Eastern Axis. And I love those arrows, man. And then from there, I left those for the RIP TKOs just because I felt like I had a better GPI. I could get, I could manipulate the front end a little bit better. And, um, and then now I'm looking at doing a different arrow build, which involves your company a little bit. We'll talk about that at the end. But um, why the Eastern Axis, man, and 5 millimeter. Yeah, so the, the reason for that Eastern Axis, and, and I would say that the, the major manufacturers all make pretty good arrows. Um, the reason I like the 204 diameter is I think it's a good, I think it's kind of a sweet spot between, um, you know, at a smaller diameter, you can get you know, a little less wind drift, a little less drag, um, probably a little bit more penetration, although I don't think that's as big of a factor as some people, you know, make it out to be. But you can get you can definitely get some benefits there, but yet you're still using standard um, standard broadheads. So you have a standard shank size, which is which is stronger than than a lot of the micro systems. So it's I think it's a sweet spot that it gives you some of the benefits of smaller diameter arrows, but yet you don't give up anything in strength. And then when you use the use like a reinforced hit system where the hits hit is down inside there and the broadhead shank aligns right to the ID of the shaft. Um, you're going to get excellent alignment. You're really not going to beat that for having minimizing any tolerances and having the best chance that your broadhead is going to spin true to that arrow. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the 204 diameter for that reason. Um, and then we add an impact collar over it. And uh, I really love that system for the strength that it um, provides on impact because you kind of get hardened steel. We do hardened steel or titanium, but you get, you know, hardened metal, carbon fiber, hardened metal, and then you're building that strength into the arrow. The broadhead's sitting down inside the arrow. It can flex a little on impact with that carbon fiber in there. And it just, it just holds up. It'll spin true after putting in rocky dirt or pounding through bones or whatever. So that's really why I'm a big fan of the tool four diameter. Um, we do have a system that's very strong for micro. We can go into that at the end, but you know that gets a little specialized, and it's probably not for everybody. Um, but I think the two four diameter is probably for everybody, or a majority of the people are going to have good success with that setup. Um, the reason I chose the Easton Axis is, you know, I, I licensed the hit insert technology, the patents from Easton, so I had a relationship with their their engineering team there. And, you know, for one, I like that they have actual engineers in their design group and their manufacturing that I can I can talk to really understand the product. I don't want to sell something that I don't really fully technically understand. Um, so, I mean, that's a big plus that have been around 100 years and have the engineering support there. 
Their thing is um, their their process. They make it this pultrusion process. Um, there's no seam in there, right? They're basically controlling the ID and OD, you know, as they're pulling it through dyes. And I feel like that's inherently more consistent with the mechanical properties as you go around the arrow with that process versus, you know, most most companies are using this uh, these prig prig um, carbon fiber sheets and they cut out a long rectangular strip of it. They wrap that in half kind of over a mandrel and then there's a seam there. Um, you know, then there's oh, the epoxy added it and everything there. But, you know, you could see inherently that at that seam, the mechanical properties are going to be a little different than the rest of the arrow as you go around there. And I think the the major um, manufacturers do, do a pretty good job with it. Um, it. It varies from one to the next, but I just don't feel like it's um, inherently is going to be as uniform in mechanical properties as this pultrusion. So, I've used the axis as well as a number of other arrows for years, and I feel like it's a good, it's not, it's not overly expensive. It's pretty durable, um, you know, very durable with our reinforced hit system on the front and just a good overall um, arrow shaft. So, you know, chose to work with Easton and develop this. And really, I started this two years ago with Easton. So it's been a long, long time coming, but we're now finally just a couple of days ago um, shipping these arrows. That's awesome. And congrats to you. And I still think there's an audience that's going to listen to what I said at the beginning. Like, hey, man, if you want to buy a couple dozen of Easton Axis and build them your own, great. But it wouldn't hurt to maybe invest in, a, you know, a dozen, half dozen of the iron wheels. You're going to get your hands on those veins first and foremost. And I'm sure you guys will plan on selling those veins separately down the road at some point. But right now, that's how you're going to get your hands on them. Having somebody machine cut your arrows is huge. And then having a, a precision, you know, vein application, your offset's going to be absolutely three degrees perfect. I'm into all that, man. And I see the value for sure. So I think you answered these questions, man. I knew I was going to come at you a little bit today, um, but I was just trying to play devil's advocate. So, you know, I got nothing but love for you. Right, Bill? Yeah. And no, I like I like the hard questions because if I can get them out, talk about them here, it keeps it from, you know, going all over the forums and, and people talking about where I might not see it and be able to address it. So, no. Ask me the hard questions. And, you know, that three degree, um, the, the reason I wanted to machine fletch there and control things and kind of take it, take the human error out and the variation is that I know there's a lot of guys and, you know, I, I was this way myself 20 years ago. I wasn't fletching my own arrows at that point. I had a shop that I really liked that did it for me and they did a three degree helical. Um, but that shop, you know, ended up going away. Um, and then I go to a couple other shops and I get, I'd ask them to do a three degree helical and they're like, yep, no problem. And one shop was actually straight fletching them. And I could see the broadheads weren't flying that well with it. You know, this wasn't our iron broadheads. It was another one, but all of a sudden the flight got terrible. And then I got some made, you know, from another shop and um, I got a different angle. And then, well, but, but it was, um, you know, it was closer to that three degrees. So I was happy with it. Went back there the next time and I ended up with, with more like a zero degree. So it's, um, what I found, and if you've got a good shop that's doing it for you, if they if they say they're doing a three degree, I'd ask them a little bit more, like, are you really? Because a lot of shops, I think, set up for that zero or one to, you know, it used to be you needed to do that to get through a lot of these prong rests. Um, you need to have a pretty shallow angle. So anyway, I think there's a lot of variability out there. And I know guys can 
set up a jig themselves to what they want and use that same jig every time and build them themselves. And yeah, within a couple of weeks here, we'll be selling just the veins in 40 packs on our website too, for the guys that want to um, build themselves. But for the guys that don't care to fletch themselves, this will be you know, a very repeatable three degree angle, always the same. And you, you might not get that at an archery shop, depending on where you're going. All right. Last but not least, this next portion of the podcast is 100% James Yates's fault. I blame him, but uh, that guy got me turned on to pro comps and sold me a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? ABT, always be tinkering. I'm a guy on a constant pursuit for perfection in a thing that's not perfectionable, if that's a word. You can't perfect archery, but you can certainly try. So I, uh, I got a hold of some pro comps. They're en route. And so we're going to, I'm going to lean on you, Bill. We're going to build these zeros together and guys, I'm going to make YouTube videos about this. So you're getting it first. You're not going to, you're going to hear about it before you see it. So pro comps are in route 300 spine. Um, the deal that I, I kind of was turned on to, I'd love to hear your two cents was how they're made a little bit. So obviously they're aluminum inside and it's a core and the way that rip TKOs are made, they're kind of like wrapped spun versus the way Easton describes it is it's kind of like, um, I don't know how they describe it on their website, but I believe that you can talk about a little bit better how it's like, maybe it's how they mold these arrows. Maybe talk about that a little bit. So I don't sound like a knuckle dragger too bad. Yeah. I don't know a lot about the, um, the pro comp process. Exactly. I haven't, I haven't seen that. I want to learn more about it. It's, um, but it's got an aluminum core to it. So what you do when you add aluminum and FMJs, um, I can talk about those two. FMJs have aluminum on the outside. Man, they are very consistent in spine and straightness. Um, Every one they make, you know, is basically match grade because they all meet that thousand straightness. And I shot those for years. And the reason I was doing it is because of how consistent the spine and straightness was. Um, the thing that kind of pushed me away from aluminum is um, you know, I had, I was on an elk hunt for 10 days in the back country. I had a fall, you know, day three or something like that. And I ended up slightly bending a couple arrows and I didn't know it. Um, when I got home and I shot all those arrows at a target, you know, one of them at 50 yards was hitting like six inch, six inches left. And then I found out, yeah, sure enough, there's a little bend in it. So that's, that was mm -hmm. kind of my fear of, of aluminum is that, um, you, you can bend it without really knowing you, you can it can be bent and visually look okay whereas with carbon it's kind of either broken or it's probably um not bent very much you know it's probably still uh, pretty good to shoot um so anyway that's what pushed me away from it but i do know the pro comp and i've talked to the guys at easton and others that shoot them you know with the aluminum on the inside you know as you bend an arrow the high stress is on the outside so um having that aluminum on the inside instead there are they're less likely to get bent and uh it's probably you know more manageable and and I do plan to kind of take a look at those as we might look for a um what we're going to do for a four millimeter option you know in, in future years that we might offer I think it's a good arrow I've heard good things very spine consistent I think they'll say it's their basically their um their best target archery type process that's you know, available in kind of hunting arrow. So I think it's a great setup. You have to let me know your experience on if you're bending any um, or not there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, so basically take an FMJ and flip it 
aluminum core, and then they have like that high modulus, high strength carbon jacket or whatever. And and um, James was just so sold on how straight and consistent they are throughout. He just couldn't on his aero audits. He just couldn't find a bad one, which is awesome, man. Like that could save me a serious step. So the pro comps are in route. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put on the back end. I just am a huge believer in IP fives for 204 diameter. So I have a box of IP four Knox from AEE. Those weigh about seven grains. Um, the carbon to carbon, the grain per inch isn't too far off from your Eastern axis. It's 9.5 grain per inch. And so I'll be cutting those arrows. You know, I usually cut my arrows a little shorter than most people carbon to carbon. I just save a little bit of room for the broadhead to stick out past the blade of my rest. But um, I don't know the exact distance it's going to be yet, but somewhere around 26 and a half inches, 26.25, somewhere in there, just carbon to carbon. And then I was talking to Eric yesterday, Eric Whiting, your guy, and I was ordering things. And here's what we ordered. And I was just going to have you kind of speak to some of these things. So I told Eric I wanted to definitely use the single bevel to the left. And I know you had deep six options, but I really wanted your core system, which I want you to talk about. So the broadhead comes with a with a, a core attached to it that goes down. It's got a shank that goes down inside the shaft. And I've always hated four millimeter arrows because of componentry. So that's why I said, okay, if I'm going to try pro comps, I'm going to do this arrow upright and money's not getting in the way. So I'm going to order the 135 total weight. So that's a single bevel to the left with the shank. And I want to stay super light with this setup, Bill. This is like the next step. So right now I got ripped TKOs that way about 425. So I was thinking I would be able to come in even lighter with these. So I ordered your 15 grain hit uh, that you've licensed from Easton. And I'm going to do, I'm going to do a 10 grain impact collar. And I did some quick math with uh, the AEE hybrid HPs that I was looking at running. And I'm thinking when I put all your components together and I add, so how much weight would you add for glue, give or take? Uh, not much, you know, a couple of grain, you know, a few grains maybe. Oh, I'm hot melting too. And I'm ordering your hot melts. So what would that? Um, that probably a little, a little bit more, but still probably just a few grains. I could tell you, cause I've got, so my, my four millimeter setups use the hot melt, um, use our hot melt system. So. I could get back to you on that. I don't know right off the okay. top. So like I'm literally doing Easton Arrow. The only thing from that I'm not using from you guys is the AEE Knock and the AEE Hybrid HP Veins. And there's just three of them and they weigh 6.1 grains per. So I did math um, yesterday and I was like, holy shit, these arrows are going to weigh 410 grains total weight with your system. And that includes like all the things that make me sleep good at night. These things are your broadhead for the business in, your core system, your impact collar, and your hit. And um, that's what I'm building. So maybe I want to finish with kind of like you talking through why these are good decisions on my end so that people think I'm smart, but morally, like more importantly, like how – this is going to help me keep my four millimeters from not basically breaking all the time, which is what I've experienced in the past. Yeah, I think, you know, that might be like the ultimate long range um, setup there. I mean, if you're trying to get the most benefits you can with from the micros for wind drift, um, the less drag, all those things. Um, I, I do think the pro comp is 
is going to be hard to beat for straightness, spine consistency. And one thing I should mention is I think shooting an arrow with aluminum in it is manageable. I would just, I would just spin them, you know, before and after every hunt, spin all your arrows, make sure they're all spinning true. Nothing goofy happened. You, you didn't notice the bend, the bend one there, but um, yeah, that pro comp being the four millimeter um, with the, with our core system. Um, I worked with Aaron Snyder um, and we came up with this Snyder core system, which was, it's, it's basically a, a shank diameter similar to the deep six um, where it's that, that one, six, five shank that um, aligns to the ID of micro diameter arrows. So four millimeter, um, one, six, five, one, six, six, there's a little variation out there, but it, it aligns to the core, just like our, um, our standard ones doing 204. Um, but it, so it aligns to the core for per, this excellent broadhead to um, shaft alignment. And then we reinforce it with the, the impact collar again. And, you know, our deep six, uh, that deep six standard that Easton came up with is as a, the shank length before you get into the threads is about 0.3 inches. Um, you know, in our core system, it's one inch long shank. And then the, and then the hit insert sits back behind that. And you can do it as a bonded in, you know, epoxied in hit insert and screw in and out of it. Or you can attach the hit ahead of time and then use hot melt to bond the whole thing in, which is, which is a great, very strong setup. And there's some advantage to that. Um, That's what I'm doing, man. Yeah. I got, I got the heat gun. I'm going to set it to 350 degrees. I ordered your big ball of wax or whatever it is that you guys sell. I, I did go to Amazon at first and looked up like hot melt stuff. And then I stumbled upon your video on your website where you're doing it actually. And I'm like, Oh dude, I got to use whatever bill uses. Cause I'm just, that's kind of how I am. And it looks, I've never done the hot melt before, but to me, like I want to hot melt my fill points in. I want to hot melt my broadheads in. I it's it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, I got to give um, Snyder credit for the hot melt thing. He a few years ago, he's like, I just want to hot melt everything in, and I kind of thought he was nuts because, yeah. you know, thirty years ago I was hot melting on knocks and and everything back then, but it was just really brittle hot melt. And I'm like, I was thinking when he said hot melt, I'm like, man, I don't want to go back to any of that stuff. Um, he's like, no, he's using. Uh, uh, Kimsha at that time and in a couple others. And so I really dug into it. I got hot melts from eight different suppliers. Um, you know, the original suppliers of the, of the, the polymers there. And I tested them all and picked out the best one. And I, and I think it's probably actually the same as, um, Kimsha, which, um, Tom Parsons archery, I think developed that. And then Tom passed away a couple of years ago. So I was having trouble just getting it through him. But, um, anyway, that hot melt we use is, is great and the thing is is it's not brittle it almost has a little bit of a rubberiness to it but great impact strength and i measured the pull-out force to be like 600 pounds when you hot melt the whole shank and hit insert in there and then of course you did that's awesome (laughs) yeah what's cool there is you have um like two and a half depending on which hit insert you choose but you have two and a half i'd say two to three inches of reinforced um shaft now you know core is reinforced solid for that length and the impact collar over it man that's very strong i actually used that not just past year but the prior two i used that with um um easton's long range axis that was my setup and man i don't know that i ever shot you know better at long range um and killed a lot of um, animals elk caribou and things at long range with that 
um, with that our core system there and those four millimeter arrows. So it's a it's a great setup. I think you're gonna love it. Yeah, I'm excited. Really excited to build these. Um, I think Eric's getting stuff shipped out to me, and uh, when everything arrives, we're gonna do full video, break it down, how to do it all, and and then go test them or whatever. And then um, I don't know, man. I'm a little bit nervous to use these arrows on tack um, because. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I usually break a couple arrows at tack. I actually do miss some targets, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I can, you know, muster that. So I'll probably have a couple different setups. Um, but, yeah, I do think I want to kind of come in around 410 to 420 total arrow weight for my elk setup this year with the 4 mil. And, um, man, I've tried, to, I've tried to make 4 millimeters work for me for years, and I've always just been disappointed um, even with the Easton Titanium half out, I thought that would be a good solution. And it is one of the better solutions for four mils, but I still think um, there's there's more meat on the bone. There's more to be desired. So I think running the impact collar with the shank attached to the hit, it's all one unit. The broadhead touches the impact collar. I just feel like I could, I don't know, I feel like that's going to mitigate some of the issues I've ran into historically. Yeah. And, you know, I ran these attack, a lot of tack events for a couple of years. Um, and, and, I, you know, over the years, I got better to the point where I, I might go a whole round without missing phone, but um, I put plenty of them into the, into rocky dirt, tree limbs, logs, stuff like that. And what I saw is that they would survive in some kind of rocky dirt impacts and um, wood, you know, impacts in the limbs and trees. So it was a good test. You might want to try it and report back. Um, if you get a straight, you know, granite boulder impact, it's prob probably something's going to be wrecked there. It's probably not going to be a good arrow anymore, but they take a impact. You know, I, I had friends with me that were having similar you know, we might, ours both might be in the rocky dirt right next to each other. And I could pull mine out and spin it and keep shooting it. And theirs were destroyed when they were just using, say, only a hit or some other, or especially like half outs. Those were bending like crazy on a, on a wood hit or uh, just rocky dirt. Yeah. So like last year, did you do Big Sky Total Archery Challenge last year? Um, I did it a couple of years ago, but not last year. Yeah. So last year, and I don't know the differences. It might be the Sitka course, might be the prime course. I don't remember, but it's the first shot. Put yourself in my shoes, man. Like we give away a, a spot to shoot with us, um, which is not really much of a prize. You have to hang out with us all day. But so a random YouTube subscriber, we don't know, we've never met, shows up and we're like, hey, how are you doing? Let's ride up the lift together. And we get to the first target, Matt. And it's like, it's a sheep and it's like 88 or 89 yards. And it's literally covered, all the vitals, all the good stuff to score points is covered by rocks. And it's a far enough shot where, like, trajectory speaking, you should be able to drop in and maybe nick the top of the lungs and catch an eight. Or you can safely just aim for the back quarter and get a five. Dude, none of us are doing that. We're all going for the eight or, like, some of us even thought we might be able to sneak it into a ten. And I just... Um, I actually got an eight on that. I do remember, but I remember like even Josh Jones, MFJJ hits his first time at tack and he freaking missed the target and his arrow ended up halfway down the mountain. Uh, we found it six targets later, which is insane, dude. But like, I just remember like shots like that, man. I don't know if I want to shoot my bougie pro comp with all my iron will component tree 
probably not going to do that. But I do like those total archery challenges. Which ones are you going to be at this year? It's looking like uh, um, I think we're going to do Pennsylvania, which will be new for us. We've never been out there. We heard that's that's a good crew out there. I kind of want to go. Um, so I think it's going to be Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Colorado, and Utah. Oh, dude, you're doing yeah, you're doing several. I am uh, up in the air. We have black. Uh, we have Big Sky on lock. But I am jonesing to sneak over to that South Dakota one. I know you've done that one before, right? Yep, I've done that one a number of times. It's a, it's the closest one to me, like five-hour drive or something like that. Well, like the Colorado one is close too, of course. But um, yeah, as far as the other ones, it's it's close to me, and it's it's um, it's it's good. It's it's a little uh, lower elevation, but some great terrain. They have this really cool cliff shot, and um, it's a little it's a little lower key. It's not quite as like a big party like the Utah one is a little lower key, but it's a good shoot. Yeah, that's cool. And I still kind of want to hit the Utah one. I haven't been since it was called Bowcast at the Bird. Um, but I, I I don't know. We've got to look at the schedule, and i got to make sure that I balance the scales. I can't just be doing all these fun archery shoots and leaving my family behind. But, I, I mean, there's a balance there. But I freaking love 3D on mountains, man. It just – it's something about it and uh, the friendly competition and – and we're all doing it just to test equipment and test ourselves and get better, right? Like, I want to be confident come September 1. And that's up to me how confident I show up by how much work I put in. What would you say, and we'll finish here, Bill, What you're a seasoned elk hunter. You've been in the game a long time. Where are you at right now in your journey? Like, what are some of the boxes you check in the offseason this time of year, spring, to make sure that you will be ready for the ultimate test, the Super Bowl, which is Super Bowls in September. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a elk hunting. It's kind of like a, you have to have a whole package there. You know, you have to have, a, a, you know, a fitness, um, your gear dialed in, shooting. So, you know, as I go into the the spring here, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm doing the things to get cardio up there, make sure I can carry a heavy pack around. Um, so there's some fitness to it. I'm getting my bows, um, you know, dialed in. And I mean, I don't, I always have bows, some bows dialed in, but I'm often this time of year, like changing my setup and what I want to shoot for an arrow or whatever. So just doing a lot of shooting, getting that to where it needs to be before I start hitting tack events and, and tack events have pushed me to be a better long range shooter. They really have, because I don't want to go there and wreck all my arrows and, and, you know, um, and look like a fool. So <laughs> it's a, it's a good thing to compete with some others and get, get that going. Um, you know, I, you know, there's a lot to learn with elk behavior and habitat and all those things, but I feel like I've, I've, I know a lot there now that I probably spend a little less time trying to figure all that out. But for new elk hunters, that's kind of important to understand, um, you know, elk behavior, where you're going to find them, what they're going to be doing, you know, on the mountains. Um, and then there's like figuring out your spots, where you're going to go. If you're going to a new spot, you know, e-scout or get, how are you going to get information on it? Um, I like to get feet on the ground in the mountains. So, you know, I'll try to, I try to get a, a mountain hike in, um, as often as I can. And if I can pack it with, if I can do it with like a scouting trip and test out some gear and get a couple of overnights, you know, that's, that's great to do going into the spring and winter. And I know you can't access the high mountains due to the amount of snow um, until maybe July around here. But um, yeah, doing some of that's important as well. Mm, I love it, man. Well, uh, Bill has been to a few of our camps. We get him at some of them. It's always an honor 
We'll probably have them at the Wisco camp, your home country, your home turf. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. So those listening, and if you're coming to that camp, you're going to get Iron Will Bill in real life. Uh, and anytime Bill's at my camps, I just suggest every camper try to steal five minutes of his time and run through your setup and have him just kind of look at them, do the math and give you suggestions. And I think we're all in agreement. We're trying to get better. We're not trying to stay the same because then you're actually getting worse. And archery is the coolest thing ever. It's such a cool discipline to have in your life and to keep you on the up and up. I uh, appreciate your time, Iron Will Bill. I will leave a link in the video description and the show notes on where to order any components, any broadheads, as well as arrows for your setup in 2023, as well as links to their Instagram, which because Marty is hired, I feel like your Instagram is worth a major follow. You guys keep killing it over there, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Always, always great talking to you, you know, like-minded that we're trying to get better. You know, we, we teach people, but at the same time, we're students of the game too. You know, we're always trying to learn and get better from each other. So I always appreciate talking to you, Dan. Yeah. Likewise guys, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.